Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. Now, Father, I'm, I'm taking over this show from Stephen, and I can say to, um, to listeners who are following along with the textbook, I recommend putting it in a bucket of water first because it is quite dry. Would you agree on that? Uh, yes, uh, there are parts uh, that are quite dry. Yes, that's true. But, uh, you know, most, uh, I should say most, but a lot of theology in a certain sense is, but uh, this is actually written more, uh, at least with a layman in mind. A lot of the background material, background books and things like that nature uh, are even drier in that regard. So those are the things that we as uh, priests and seminarians, of course, always study. And so we know it, but it's always good uh, uh, to have a, a little bit more of a layman's uh, view of things, or at least put it in so a layman can at least understand. But yes, it is a little bit dry in the areas, yes. Ah, I see, I see. Well, it's quite dry to me, but I guess, like you said, if for seminarians, they will study things that are drier. Uh, just to let listeners know, the book is Tradition and the Church by Monsignor George Aegis. And uh, we can probably get started. We are up to chapter five. So, Father, we can start with um, the quote, the principles and the fundamentals of the Christian religion were from the beginning, not something theoretical, but something practical. Can you please elaborate on that? You know, one thing I think uh, we have a tendency as, uh, as Catholics about our, our faith is that there are things, yes, that are, are theology. I and mean, there's a lot of things that are ex, uh, expounded upon in regards to things of the faith, of, of even um, things like uh, you know, talking about the Trinity and that, but ultimately all of that, there's a practicality to it. Our, our, our religion is practical as well. So, you know, we understand that our religion is not just meant for, well, like we just said earlier, it's like just reading in a, a kind of a dry book. It's meant to be lived. And it's the everyday usage of that, everyday practice, every profession of that faith. And so, you know, that's the, the, that's the understanding that, the, you know, our faith, yes, there are theoretical aspects of it. There's theological, philosophical aspects of it. Yes, that, but that, all that helps is to help to understand how to live the faith and how to love the faith. And so, you know, we have um, the faith is, is practically every day. And how we get that, of course, is, is through the uh, or how we understand that, especially as, uh, you know, the, the man in the pew, so to speak, is it's, it's the by the living teaching body of the church that's handed on the apostles, it's the sexers, the sexers or the apostles, the, the clergy. I mean, all that is meant to teach and to help uh, to understand the things of our faith and to, but to apply them, to practically apply them into, into our life. You know, that's the basic fundamental of that is that, uh, you know, we can't look at our uh, faith as, uh, you know, something that is separate from our life. It's something thing, you know, it's not like it's a nine to five job, so to speak, you know, it's, 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 it's our life. And, but, you know, we have to understand that and we have to apply that and we have to, and again, that's, that's how we, what we believe is that we put that into practice. And so, you know, that's, it's the living teaching body, of course, which trains uh, us how to do that. And, and, uh, you know, that's, of course, the succession of the apostles and uh, the clergy and all that, that our Lord has uh, through the church herself has has helped us to do so. You can't just believe the faith. You have to live it and not nine to five, not a couple of the hours of the day, not just a Sunday when you go to mass, your whole life. Right. So second quote, the apostolic churches were ruled by tradition as well as by scriptures. Well, that's certainly that uh, we 
um, understand uh, the differences. And I think the later chapters will talk a little bit more in depth about how Protestants often will say, you know, sola scriptura, it's only the scriptures, it's only it's only by the scriptures. But, um, you know, our faith is built on the two pillars of, of scripture and tradition. And, you know, those... Um, those are are indispensable in regards to uh, the faith, the rule um, um, of faith, basically. Um, well, I like to let's quote actually from page eighty three from uh, Tertullian. He reminds us, and this is a preface to actually that other quote, but actually Tertullian he he says Christ sent the apostles who founded churches in every city from which the others have borrowed the traditions of the faith and the seed of doctrine and daily borrow in order to become churches so that they are also apostolic in that they are, are the offspring of the apostolic churches. So tradition, you know, is, and, and it must be with the scriptures, it's the rule of faith, which our Lord himself uh, and the apostles, of course, intended. And of course, the, the, the Monsignor here says, and, and in fact, left in the church for the government of the faithful until the end of time. Mm. So it is, it is, uh, you know, it is not like as if uh, we're ruled by again our own way, our own interpretation, or only solely uh, of Scripture. But you know, it is, um, it is, the, it's the whole of of uh, the faith. And so, you know, you have even just the. Um, as Monsignor goes through this book as well, there's a historical testimony that that shows, you know, what the whole Catholic faith, what the whole Catholic community, Catholic Christian antiquity thought of, and and what they believed, and how they professed always and ever the institution of Christ and the apostles. And you know that testimony of faith is is not just solely, of course, scripture, but it's tradition. It's it's the things that again are lived every day. Uh, things that were handed down by our Lord to the apostles that were taught to the church through them that uh, uh, along, of course, with the scriptures, because there's, it's not as if the scripture and tradition are at odds with each other. They are integral. I mean, they, they complement, of course, each other. There's scriptures, the written, of course, words in, in regards to that. But the tradition is those that are, aren't written, but have always been believed and always been taught and always been lived, but from the mouth of our Lord himself to the apostles. And so, you know, that is the, uh, uh, the so we're, we're ruled yes by the scriptures, but we're ruled by a tradition because there's so much more that are not written down. In fact, Saint John reminds us in the gospel as well. He says there's so many other things that our Lord did, and so many are, that that it would just it would be impossible really to write it all down in a book. But yet it's taught by the by tradition, by the apostles, by the preaching, by the teaching of, of from that. And so, you know that we have the. Uh, the uh, the authority, of course, of the church reminds us of scripture and tradition. Mm, it's like Protestants, you know, they're kind of limiting themselves by just sticking to their scripture and usually, you know, false edited versions as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, in a certain sense, I mean, we have to pity uh, those who are Catholic, of course. Mm. I mean, we pray for them for their conversion, but we pity them because they don't have they don't have everything. I mean, they don't even have close to everything and they're, they're deprived and they're depriving themselves, of course, ultimately, mm. you know, so we, we have a pity for them because, you know, I mean, what a, how, look at how much that they don't know and, and refuse to know. And, but 
This is why the richness of our faith, in studying of these things like this, it's a reminder of, of the richness of our faith because, of course, our faith is is not of, of a human origin. It's started by God himself. And, and of course, he's infinite. And so, you know, we have uh, we have depths to plumb in that regards. Absolutely. Now, on pages 87 to 88, it goes, the book goes into condemnations of heresy and approval of sticking to tradition. Even traditional Catholics of today, we, some will, will shy away at times of, uh, you know, con- con- condemning um, heresy or condemning, you know, and, and I always try to kind of a little side note, but um, like when we're dealing with the Novus Ordo. They're still conservative Novus Ordo. Mm. Well, right. But yeah, we have to understand those that the Novus Ordo, well, it's either what we're dealing with, it's either the Catholic Church or it isn't. Mm. And if it isn't, we have to condemn it. I mean, because it's not, it's not the faith. And so it's not that we're, you know, condemning maybe the people. I mean, they're trying maybe to be Catholic, but we have to understand is that if it's not Catholic and it's, it's evil, it's not, it is not of God. And that's the, I, the, the church has always held that in regards to uh, um, things that are, are, are um, at, at odds with the faith, which is always a danger to souls. And so, you know, it is a, um, um, he said that, uh, well, according from page 87 um, from Monsignor, he says, Eusebius, who is who's the historian of the church, uh, who wrote in the fourth century, commenting on this epistle of St. Ignatian, says, first of all, he admonished the churches of every city that most of all, they should avoid heresies, which already had begun to break out and advise them to hold firmly to the traditions of the apostles. So in a sense, you know, the, Monsignor's course are reminding the book, reminding us that heresies have been from always, always been there. I mean, even from the very beginning, they always had, they're always are battling against heresies, mm, and mm. that is why the church really ultimately is called the church militant because we're always at war. We're always at war against um, the world of flesh and the devil, but also, of course, uh, of error and heresy, and and, and trying to 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 uh, protect souls and save souls. And so, you know, it's uh, um, again, he it's Saint Polycarp says to uh, he says leaving the vanity of many men and all false doctrines let us turn to the doctrine which was handed to us from the beginning in other words you know the rule of faith again is that it is if it was taught and you know from the very beginning is that we stick to that there's no novelties here we don't we don't go in for new things or things that are at odds with what has always been taught and again as i i think i mentioned in my last or when i was talking with others is uh you know, this is, uh, you read this book and ultimately, you know, you have in the mind, because it talks about Protestantism later, but yet, you know, every page you can say, you know, this is what the Novus Ordo has been doing. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is what, I mean, this is what they're doing. And so it's every page is a condemnation of the Novus Ordo. And so, but yet it is, it is that, that understanding that the early church, of course, had, which the church still has and always has, will have, is that the repugnance towards heresy. Uh, you know, there's no there's no quarter given to heresy. I mean, certainly the church always tries to help those who are in heresy to to mm. to, re, re, to re, repent of their errors and to show them that. But the church is not going to to be have kid gloves with heresy because if it spread, it's like a it's like a cancer. It'll spread and it'll infect and it'll it'll uh, you know undermine and 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 you know even like I said we still deal that with today even within the traditional movement you have you know some you know like theism and things of that nature you know those are heresies that 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 are 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 
deceiving the, the souls. And, you know, the church always has to take a, a strong stance against the heresy, always, of course, trying to convert, uh, you know, those who, who are in heresy. But at some point, of course, you have to have a heavy hand uh, to, to protect the, the faithful in that regards. I always find it interesting when people follow new religions where the Catholic Church is the only religion that actually has proven approval from God. Muslim Muhammadism, um, that's founded by a man. Protestantism, founded by a man. Anglican Church, founded by a man. I don't know why these people end up following humans instead of proven God. Well, it's because, uh, you know, we we are a... As, as our fallen human nature reminds us, we are a stiff-necked people. Mm. Um, you know, we 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 are we have a tendency because of our concupiscence to follow um, error, to 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 gravitate towards things that are um, you know easier for us, or um, you know, and and that regards. And so, you know, this is what we do. But you're right. I mean, it. it who would you rather? put your trust in man or God. Yeah, exactly. Obviously it's God. God's the answer, but yet how often do we trust man over God? So, you know, that's, you know, that's our fall in human nature. Mm. And uh, to be fair, I think even traditional Catholics, I can speak for myself. Sometimes you could put faith in a human, say in material terms, more than God, AKA you could trust yourself more instead of praying to God about certain things. So you kind of, you have that hypocrisy, that little false mentality there creeping in at times. Oh yeah, we always have to deal with that. I mean, we, I mean, everyone. I mean, we, we, you know, even the good works we try to do, you know, you know, we always have to deal with that 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 mixture sometimes of that selfishness, uh, you know, that self, and we we understand that. I mean, our Lord understands that. We as long as the majority, of course, is we're trying to do God's will, and we try to minimize as best as we can our own will, and 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 do, you know, each day try to be a little bit better. And and I always rely. Saint Augustine had said, I forget, it might have been his Confessions, but. He has said, you know, we, we do what we can. You know, we try to do everything we can in regards to that, but then we leave the rest to God. Is that, you know, there's, you know, we just have to know that that boundary is that, you know, we can only do so many things or do things and the rest is God's. Yeah. Some people have the tendency to put too much trust in God. And then, as in when I say by that, what I mean by that, sorry, is to, well, I guess the word is tempt God, aka you rely on God to do everything without you actually putting in the work, where then you've got some people who they rely on themselves too much and don't put enough trust in God. It's finding that perfect balance. That's right. Yeah, the churches, I mean, it always reminds the path of virtue, of course, is in the middle, is, you know, we don't go into the extremes. You know, we don't rely solely on ourselves. We don't really, I mean, we rely solely on God in a certain sense, but yet, you know, we realize we have to do our part. You know, God helps those who helps themselves. Page 88. Uh, tradition and scripture ruled the church in the last half of the second century and all of the third century. Well, it's just touching basically on, on also as Monsignor goes, is the history of the church teaches us that Christianity was never free from heresy. In other words, from the very beginning, um, you know, we, we had to deal with that. And so, but the, the understanding though is that when heresy pops up, well, you have to have a rock to 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 lean on to say, wait a minute, you know what what is going on here? What is the truth? And you know, the church warned people, I mean, against those false doctrines, and and so did every priest, every every pastor, every bishop would always warn their their flocks uh, against to be on guard against the wolves, especially the wolves in in sheep's clothing. And uh, you know, actually, I'll just read this, and I had marked it is important because again, dealing it is uh, on page eighty nine. 
uh, Monsignor writes, he says, in the last half of the second century, St. Irenaeus mm -hmm. valiantly defended tradition against the Gnostics and other heretics. The Gnostics claimed that tradition was a secret and private doctrine which had come down to them alone through consecutive generations. Irenaeus, on the contrary, proved that tradition is a public doctrine which belongs to the universal church ruled by the succession of bishops. This controversy with the Gnostics shows but one plain conclusion, namely that both parties appeal to tradition, although in a different way. And that's key because heretics often will point to even those things of the church and say, uh, you know, they'll, they'll take something and say, well, this is what the church had said, but they leave out the fact that mm. of what the church has interpreted that or how the church has interpreted that or understood that and has given that. And so it's almost like the heretics will, will pick and choose um, certain things from either scripture or tradition or from the church uh, to fit their heresy, but, you know, leave out the rest, which, you know, helps to explain exactly what the church was saying and, and things of like that. And so, you know, Vatican II, uh, you know, Nova appeals quite heavily to uh, the early church. In fact, they'll quote, uh, we were taught in seminary often, uh, I mean, it was the early church and we were taught for about the first a thousand years. I mean, that, I mean, we're, the focus was on that. And then, of course, you know, we had like about a thousand year where it was like completely silent because they didn't want to touch Trent or anything of that nature. But yet the early church, you know, we studied the church fathers and that. And then but it was always, though, not in um, how the church understood it always then and continues to do. But it was in kind of in light of Vatican II at the twisting of that. And so that is an understanding like Protestants, you know, and, and, and again, St. Irenaeus or, or, or uh, um wrote this too. He says, uh, really applying, although he was way before, of course, Protestants, but this is kind of what Protestants understand. And this is what St. Irenaeus wrote about the heretics. He says, while they argue from the scriptures, they make a poor exhibition of the scriptures because truth cannot be found by those who do not know tradition for not through writing, but by the living voice, tradition was delivered. So Protestants often will often claim, you know, they Everyone's afraid of Protestants because, you know, they know that they know the Bible. They know scripture. They know it. They can they can quote this, 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 that, that. Hmm. Well, what they don't really know is that, yeah, they can quote this, this or that, but that's all they can quote. They don't understand the whole concept of uh, they don't understand a lot of all the other things, too, as well, because they never had a a authoritative teaching interpreter of that, of that. It's, that it's always been private interpretation. So but the church relies is that this is where tradition is, is that the, it's the living, breathing uh, church, who, of course, who interprets this. And, in you know, all these controversies, all these, you know, heresies that, that, that um, come up, heresies, where did the people rely upon? They replied right upon upon the the bishops and the priests of the church, mm. you know, who are who are the successors of the apostles, because they can watch over that and they interpret that in the light with, within the church and as the church, of course, who is infallible in that regards. And so you know, this is why scripture and tradition is so important. And so, you know, we have, we don't arbitrarily like the, like the Protestants, you know, just interpret scripture how we want to interpret. It is through the church um, um, who, that we understand scripture. And, you know, a lot of people try to like see even understand try to read the book of the apocalypse and, you know, and they'll try to, you know, try to say, well, this means this. And, and, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard book to understand. I mean, and even the, you know, the church provides some guidance in that regards and helps to try to explain some things. But, you know, really, if you're, if you're trying to do it on your own, you know, you can come up with some pretty fanciful 
under you know interpretations of of that and because it's offensive or not fanciful but it's very um you know uh, symbolic very i mean just in depth uh, book and it's difficult really in that regards but so because in other words if you're if you're left kind of on your own like the protestants often do is that you know you can come up with whatever kind of you want and and it'll sound good to you but you know is that really what god has wanted uh, you to understand from these uh, you know his words uh, but it takes an infallible teacher an infallible interpreter then to understand that. And this is where, of course, tradition, church comes in. It reminds me of the legal system, Father, where, for instance, you could have someone, a lawyer, who knows the actual wording of the legislation, can recite it off by heart. If he takes that into court with his private interpretation, but another lawyer comes in with an explanatory memorandum, other cases of precedence interpreting that legislation, the one who's going to win the case is the one who actually has that interpretation based on authority, not the lawyer who just has his private interpretation and tries to give that to the court. Yep, that's right. Exactly right. <laughs> he'll be he'll be destroyed in court. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, if that's how you would get destroyed in court, I don't know if you'd want to take that same bargain about your soul. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. <laughs> we can uh, move to page 92, Father. Um, mm-hmm. The headline is, in the first centuries of the church, the practical manner of judging the truth or falsity of doctrine was based on the fundamental principle that all revelation is kept and delivered in its integrity only through the common consent of the pastors and doctors. Right, and then Monsignor explains, and I'm, and this is this is this is good because he says by pastors and doctors, because sometimes we get under misunderstanding sometimes that, but you know, because you, like I said, Protestants say, well, I have a pastor. Well, it's not what we mean here. But he says, by pastors and doctors, the faithful always understood those ecclesiastics who taught and ruled them spiritually in consent and union with the other successors of the apostles, especially with the successors of St. Peter. In other words, is that those who are in union with what has always been taught and always in union with, it's always been, uh, you know, the succession of the apostles and others. You know, the, the, a bishop uh, or a pastor or, or a doctor of the church or you know, a theologian uh, is not going to put forth something that is, has no ring or no grounding in uh, what the church has always taught, what uh, the, the, uh, has been come before. If he did, then you know, he would certainly then be chastised or he'd certainly be corrected and say, wait a minute, that's, that's something of a novelty. And so you know, the whole church always believed that the consent then of, of the of the pastors and doctors is then a sure mark that divine tradition that came down to us from the apostles. In other words, is that if you, you begin to speak things new, which has never been taught before, right away, uh, you know, there would be red flags going up all over the place. You know, like mm. you just take like um, Arius, you know, when he began to teach that our Lord was not uh, divine. And, you know, right away, the church, I mean, uh, the red flags went up all over the place and they began to wait a minute, this is not right, you know, and, but, you know, so you be, but so many fell for it though, but yet, so then how then could you get out from that, um, continual kind of, uh, um, siren song of, you know, no, we need to, we need to believe this now. We need to believe this. Well, we go back to say, wait a minute, what is the, what do the apostles teach? What are the church? I mean, what has always been? And so, wait a minute, that's not what the, what has always been. So you kind of have looked to that succession and especially of course, with the successors of St. Peter with the popes. Um, and so that is, uh, so the, that the ch- church has always, 
um, you know, it was through that principle that the church always judged what is either true or false. Is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, there was the, Monsignor gives a couple of rules here and I'll just read them. It says the first rule was, so believes the Catholic Church under heaven and all the bishops consent with us. In other words, the church believes uh, all what has, you know, all the bishops are in consent, uh, or, or a, a unity there, that they all believe the same thing. Um, you know, it's the first mark of the church is one. You know, we all believe one. We all believe the same thing is that, you know, that is everyone doesn't, you know, believe something different here in this section or, or, or in this church or over this church or all believe the same thing. And and the second rule is that we must follow antiquity proved by tradition. Any new doctrine opposed to it must be rejected. So, again, there's there's we have the benchmark uh, to have. It's mm-hmm. it's not as if we're making things up as we go. It's that, you know, we understand is that, uh, you know, it is um, um, that it there is a, a, a rock as well. I mean, just going back to scripture is that our, that's what our Lord said, you know, I, this is the rock that I'm building my church upon is that this is this is it. And so, um, you know, we, we get a, a good understanding of that. And then, you know, origin as Martina writes, his origin, you know, he said in the third century, as there are many who think that they know what belongs to Christ, mm-hmm. and as some of them differ from others about many things, let them keep the ecclesiastical preaching which has been delivered by the apostles through the order of succession and remains to the present time in the churches. The only truth to believe is that which does not differ in the least from the ecclesiastical and apostolic tradition. So, you know, right then we have this rock that we understand is we have a benchmark, which we prove then everything else that may come or our understandings and, and, and teachings. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was it, uh, you look to that conformity of doctrine, uh, that conformity of the consent of the, the teachers of the church, the bishops. Um, that was the, the hallmark of, of whether or not this was to be believed or not. And, and so, you know, when a. When a new doctrine or when something new teaching appeared in the church, it was again, was something new. It was immediately, uh, as Monsignor writes too, is it was, it was immediately condemned mm-hmm. uh, on account of its, its of its novelty and and repugnance to the ancient faith. You know, again, so it was, you know, you know something uh, new. And uh, the Monsignor writes from Pope Stephen the first, he says nothing must be introduced but what has been delivered. So, you know, it basically is condemning any sort of novelty. And again, you can always, you can always, uh, um, point, uh, you know, like I said, even in hindsight today, you know, we've had 50, what, six or whatever, some years of Vatican II. We've had the hindsight now. We know we can look back and say, wait a minute, what is actually the fruits? What is being taught? And it's, it's, it, it's pure novelty. It is nothing that has no grounding, no matter how they, you know, try to twist it and turn it. And that's, there's no, it's pure novelty. And, you know, all, if this was the early church, you know, Vatican II would have been condemned. I mean, just, just rot out, just flat out condemned uh, right and left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those who, who, who continue to, to, uh, to uh, teach that and try to, they were, they would be anathema uh, in that regards. And so, but the only reason why is because we have a rock to already to 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 there is a common understanding, common belief in what what is there a communion with each other, and especially again with the head of the church, uh, it, it, and so it was always 
uh, that revelation through scripture and tradition was always and always will remain pure and entire. And, and so that is a, something that, you know, we certainly can uh, rest our head on and rest our heart on as well. Mm. So when the apostles were living, um, the church practically just started. That's they, um, the apostles spread the word. Later on down the track, we would have, the Catholic church would have councils such as the Council of Trent. Was there a period in between where the apostles had died what was the process they had in the early days of the church after the apostles had died to determine whether something was an error or truth? Well, there's always council. I mean, you, you can look in the book of Acts and you can see the first council, really, the council of Jerusalem there. I mean, as far as there was always a getting together at some sort or some way uh, to understand with a, with a, a, a general consensus among um, the the leaders, the bishops uh, of the church, uh, but always in union with the pope, be whether it be St. Peter or it be his successors in Linus or whatever. Um, but there was always a, uh, the, the mark was, is that if everyone agrees in this regards and the Pope, I mean, with, in union with the Pope, then, you know, this is obviously then, um, true. And this is, you know, to be believed. And so, no, there was not, there was really not a time where there was, uh, you know, where the church, uh, was kind of, uh, in sort of a, a, a free for all kind of thing. I mean, there was the, there was always, uh, these these hallmarks. Uh, granted, is that you know maybe it was in an in in infancy for a little while, but as time grew on, is that it became more uh, solidified, more 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 structured, so to speak. But no, I mean uh, I mean the the bedrock was always always there. It was tradition. It was scripture. It was the the common consensus among the bishops and and especially of course with the head. So yes, it was it was not as if you know they. The church, uh, and we were taught this sometimes in seminary too, as well. That you know somehow the church, in its infancy, I mean they were just kind of going blindly about these things, and you know doing you know whatever, and it just all of a sudden you know as happenstance, you know as like evolution kind of thing, just nothing like per se of that. I mean it was always the basics were always there, but yes, of course as time went on, things got again became more. Um, structural more more understanding in that regards but so uh, otherwise um, otherwise you know left to our own devices without the in, without uh, you know we'd be we the church would have been destroyed long time ago <laughs> in that regards that's a perfect example of how the church is infallible for instance it wasn't like you know apostles died there was mayhem and then it got more structured later even though it may not have been as big may not have been as formal or as structured aka you know technical requirements etc there was always um there was always that rock always it was always solid from the start that's right the four marks were always there mm. you know it was is you know it was started by 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 god himself and and, and who uh, what audacity to think to say that you know if something that was started by God himself that there were you know possibilities then of failing uh or of error of, of that i mean who 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 in the right mind well I, of course we know many <laughs> do but really I mean who would really want to say that and so, you wouldn't know no. yeah so we can probably move to page one hundred now I will read the headline again in the first well not again a new headline. In the first centuries of the church, social intercourse and consent in doctrine of the churches with the Church of Rome were considered a mark of truth and apostolicity of their own doctrine. But like let's kind of touch on just what you just said is that you know after after the apostles died, of course the church still began to grow, and so there were many churches and and 
you know, we call them parishes now, of course, but um, many churches, they began to, to because of the, of the conversions, be, began to be, um, began, you know, it's like, it's kind of like now, in a certain sense, even now in, in the traditional church, you know, like me, as far as uh, like a missionary priest in a certain sense, you know, I go to these different missions in different states and, and it starts small, but yet it begins to grow and grow and grow and you have more people coming, more people. And so you, all of a sudden you have a parish or church in that regards as time goes on. And so this still began to happen, but yet, mm. so their, their, their communion though, was with the apostolic churches. Those church, uh, churches started by the apostles themselves, um, who, you know, who claimed, of course, the, the succession of bishops from the time of the apostles. And they were, that was the mark of the, the truth. And that, that was, I'll just quote actually from, from on Cedar on, on page 101. You know, it says, uh, among them all, there was one which was always looked upon as the greatest of them all, the most revered, the most powerful, the one that exacted the obedience of all the faithful, the one whose last word was law. That church was, as it is today, throughout the whole Christian world, the Church of Rome. At that time, just as in our own time, the Church of Rome was the source of truth and jurisdiction. Hence, the church that agreed with Rome was considered a true Christian church, while the one that rejected Rome's truth and jurisdiction separated itself from Christ. So, even in the very beginning, there was an understanding that even that Rome, of course, with, with St. Peter, of course, uh, blessing that and, 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 and making Rome then the, the center of the church, but yet that was like the, again, the hallmark. Everyone looked to that. If I am in union with that, if I am looking, if I am, if this, whatever mission church, whatever, whatever corner of the world that the church is, is as long as I am in union with that church, as long as I am in union and teaching the same thing as that and that and not breaking anything that then I am Catholic, I am in the church. This is true. And so, um, you know, it is, um, um, this is why the, the church of Rome, of course, um, was always considered then the first, the most important and the most powerful church then in Christendom is that they all looked, of course, to Rome to look to the Pope in, in that regard. So this is the unity of faith and, and, and all those other, other churches, of course, were, um, hinged upon the fact whether or not they were in communion with that church or not, or in communion with the other, of course, specific mother churches, quote unquote, started by the apostles themselves, because they were always in union with the one in Rome as well, with St. Peter. And so, you know, there is this uh, um, unity of faith. There's this, uh, um, this uh, um, you know, always a desire, of course, to always be sure that they are, 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 are in union. And if they weren't, if they're teaching something different, they were rejected. They were saying, no, you, you're not, you're not in union with us. You're not teaching what the apostles have taught. And so, um, that was the center of unity. And, and this is where we got the chair of Peter. I mean, the, 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 the understanding of the chair of Peter. And, and so, you know, we look to our Lord reminding ourselves. You know, where I said, we're writing in scripture, he says, you know, this is the rock, you know, the, the rock upon which our Lord built this church um, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and you know, this is this is the Pope. This is Peter um, and in, in his succession. And this is the principle of that visible unity by which the, the church is one in communion and consent to the faith, as, as Monsignor writes on uh, 105. And so the rock or Peter 
you know, placed by Christ as the foundation of his church is the, then, then the, the formal cause of, of strength and unity that the, then the, the, this one body, this mystical body of the church then is, is, this is, you know, the head per se of it. Obviously Christ is the head, but you know, this is the visible head of that. And so it's infallible in their in its definitions to, to then to, to, to give the deposit of faith to the people. And so, you know, this is something that again, you know, I, of course, I always try to, because I'm, I'm was a Vatican too. I was, I always use the Novus Ordo. It's a, it's just a great example to say is that, you know, there's so many who look to, you know, Vatican II, and they're resisting it. You know, the whole recognizing resist, and you know, they're resisting. You know, Vatican. Oh no, no. Well, how could that be? Because our Lord promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Will not prevail against it. You know, and who's not? Who is then the the gatekeeper, so to speak? Who's the visible head? It's it's the Church of Rome. It's Peter. And so, if the Church of Rome and Peter uh, is teaching heresy, well, that's an impossibility. That's making our Lord a liar. Mm. So, you know, this is why. Uh, this is why. You know, the, their church always had reminded us that this is the hallmark. This is the benchmark. This is the the rock that they always, as long as I'm in union with this. But, of course, because their understanding was, you know, that it would not fail. And it hasn't. Mm. It hasn't failed. It's just we have, you know, wolves and sheep's clothing now that that think that, you know, that's uh, making people believe that they are. And. Some people have the view, um, they go in the other extreme. They're not Novus Ordo, but they believe that there are basically no priests in today. The whole, like, almost as if the whole apostolicity is gone. Would you say that to believe that would also go against Jesus's words, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Oh, well, absolutely. Because, you know, there's a mindset and, and, and you know, in the church of the moment, you have, you, you have some, you know, who say that, uh, you know, they, they're, you know, only priests, uh, you know, some will go to only priests maybe that were ordained prior to Vatican II and, you know, who were given um, ordinary jurisdiction, you know, in the times and et cetera. Well, you know, guess what? All those priests are almost dead. I mean, everything is – so if you go by that, then the church is 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 ultimately then dead, is that there's no then priest, then there's no bishops, there's no – so the gates of hell have then prevailed, but that is making a that that would still make um, the the words of our Lord you know, calling him a liar. Is that because the you know the church is going to last till the end of time? Is that our, you know it, the gates of hell will not prevail? It doesn't mean. And I say this often to people, is that our Lord said the gates of hell will not prevail. He did not say that the gates of hell will try to prevail against the church. You know, I mean, there's a difference there is that the you know, the devil's going to try all he wants. He's going to he's going to take, you know, he's going to do his damage. Yes, of course. But by the permission of God, but he won't win. And then and the church will survive and has survived and will survive till the end of time. And so, yes, those who like are home aloneers or who are, you know, who, who say, you know, that um, there's no priest, you know, only prior to Vatican II who ordained. But, you know, again, they're all going to be dead. You know, now, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're old. And, and, and so once they're, they're all dead, is that, well, then, then what, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it, it, you still have to have a visible mm. body I mean, a visible. You still have to have priests. You still have to have bishops. You have to have sacraments. Absolutely. I mean, that's going to last to the end of time, maybe very small and, 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 uh, 
you know, a remnant, as St. Paul reminds us, but yet still, this still going to be there. Uh, and so, again, that's the promise of our Lord. And, and you know, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rest on anything else than that. I don't want it because otherwise I have no hope. I mean, <laughs> might as well just pack it in. <laughs> on page 108, there is a quote. The Church of Jesus Christ always took care that no bishop be elected, be elected Pope, without having first looked thoroughly into his private life and sincerity of faith. Now, Father, there is the argument, what about immoral popes throughout the past? What does this say about looking thoroughly into their private lives? How is this argument that people may pose, you know, Protestants could pose it and say, because of that, you know, how can that be the church? Um, Nova Sordo people can say, because of that, Bergoglio can still be the Pope or JP2 could still be the Pope. And I guess people in the SSPX can also say the same. But how, Father, is that argument invalid? Well, it's it's invalid because you have certainly, and there's it's it's not like it's a secret or I mean there have been bad, morally bad bishops or even there have been some morally bad popes um, who maybe in their private lives um, fell into um, sin in regards to you know concubinage or or what have you. I mean there have been a few who have been that way, but. It's, but they did not teach that to the universal church. They did not, you know, proclaim something universal for all the, the, the faithful to believe or to practice to the universal church, to, to all the faithful. In other words, you know, it's, it's the same like in regards to kind of an, an example like a sacrament. You know, you can have a priest maybe who himself maybe is in, a true priest, a valid ordained, etc. Maybe himself, maybe in mortal sin. Maybe he, you know, he committed mortal sin. Maybe he's in, you know, living in, in sin or something of that nature. But the sacrament itself, though, that he provides to the faithful, though, is valid, of course, and good for the faithful. Now, he, of course, is in mortal sin, and he has to answer for, of course, that. You know, the the that's on a personal matter, but yet the public of that is is, is still valid. It's ex operato and rubanti. You know, there's it's 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 the uh, it's protected by by the by the by the Holy Ghost, basically. I mean, it's protected by it in that regards. Is that so? You you know, to say that um, a pope, well, the whole thing now, of course, today, well, that you can say the big thing now, of course, in Vatican II, or at least in the recognized risk crowd, is that you know, well, there have been popes who have been heretics. You know, well, but that's an oxymoron because. You know, to be a heretic is mean. Now, the one is if you're calling someone a heretic, they've they're they're no longer Catholic. You know, a Catholic who falls into heresy is no longer Catholic. He's outside the church. So, if so facto is that, then you can't be not only you're not Catholic, but you can't hold then an office because of that. But but that's because of a they're 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 publicly teaching these things now. If they privately, maybe again, you know, like like I said, in mortal sin. From Saul's moral sin, or maybe even even privately, maybe it's in a certain sense believing something erroneous or or that nature. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that, of course, that he's lost uh, that office. But yeah, if he begins to preach and teach that publicly, in other words, to the universal church, then right away you can say by that is that you can say, wait a minute, ha- has the church taught that before? And if it's no, then right away you say, wait a minute, he's not. Yeah, he's lost it. He's 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 law. He's outside the church. He's a heretic. You know, uh, um. So, mm. you know, you you kind of have to differentiate between you know the public and the private, etc. And, and but yet, 
um, you know, actually, the, uh, if I can't remember, but uh, um, Father uh, Chikata has some very wonderful articles and I think some videos and talking about the the public and the private and the manifest and etc. I mean, those are in a very good and understandable way. But as far as the 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 church herself, of course, you know, they always try to take care um, that uh, they always looked into the private life. Uh, of those who who were um, either you know maybe uh, thinking about becoming uh, ordaining them or obviously as priests or, or consecrating them as bishops, you know there was to to prove the sincerity of of their faith. Um, in other words, like uh, um, Saint Cyprian says, in order that the unworthy may not invade the sacerdotal place. Um, so. Now, have there been some who have been, say, ordained or consecrated who were not so good? Yes. I mean, that's, uh, again, where you're dealing with a human element here. But once they begin to try to impose those things publicly into the universal church and that is right away, basically the mask comes off. People recognize, wait a minute, that's not right. And, you know, that's covered by the infallibility of the church in that regard. So, um, you know, it it's you have to be union with the church you have to be in union with what the church has taught you have to be in union with the other bishops and communion with the other bishops and so if that's not there you know he's not in the church and it was recognized and it was it was declared it was pointed out and everyone knew uh in, you know in the other church and even you know obviously even prior to Vatican II uh, in that regards. And so it was, uh, you always fell back on, and, and to what has always been accepted as the faith, you know, and what, it, and if they are in union, of course, ultimately, like we said before, with the Bishop of Rome, with it, with the, 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 the Pope in that regards. And so that was a, a safeguard, um, um, a, a means and precautions, you know, to, to try to suppress any sort of, um, Heresy or any sort of of errors uh, being introduced, um, you know, to to uh, safeguard um, the faith in that regards. On page one hundred and sixteen, the book says the explanation offered by Protestants on the testimonies of tradition of the early church cannot be accepted because the first Christians interpreted Scripture according to tradition. Well, this is uh this is the basic. Well, one of the basic errors of, of Protestantism, really, and in this really this whole chapter is kind of explaining that, is that Protestants, of course, will will say, well, ultimately their 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 um, their argument is somehow it leads to that, you know, Scripture was first, uh, and 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 then you know it becomes like tradition became after that. Well, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg, you know, what came first? <clears throat> well. Yes, you had scripture, but yet who uh, who was the one who deemed that this scripture was true and valid and was, you know, uh, by the mouth of God and, and inspired by the Holy Ghost? Who was it? You know, so you had to have someone who said, yes, this is scripture. This is the, the canon that we now follow. You know, Protestants, you know, sometimes will grudgingly say, well, yeah, the, the, it was the Catholic Church who finally said that this is the Bible, etc. You know, and then they, but then they tried to explain it away and say, well, that they were, you know, 
Um, after that, they were, uh, you know, they didn't follow then scripture from their own. They just invented these traditions, etc. Afterwards, and so it was. It was uh, uh, again, you know, Monsignor writes here says, you know, Protestants tell us that the first so-called fathers of the Christian appealed to the doctrines of the early churches, especially the apostolic churches, because and insofar as they saw that they were actually conformed to the scriptures. Well, they say, you know, that scriptures themselves that scriptures themselves was the beginning that brought into existence the harmony then of the bishops and, and, and all that came afterwards. Well, that's, that's reversing the thing. It's reversing everything is that, you know, the first came the harmony of the bishops. Then you had to decide, okay, what is actually then part of scripture? Um, and so they, it was the Catholic church, of course, who, who, um, um, with the unity of them and the section of the bishops, understood that okay this is part of the scripture this is you know in matters of faith and etc and it was um you know it is it is the ecclesiastical authority that came first and then scriptures of course then were formed um you know or at least at least coalesced and brought together because of that and so you know the interpretation of the scriptures was was because of the ecclesiastical authority it wasn't the other way around um and so you know protestants again that's uh, the the fundamental under under misunderstanding by Protestants of that, and so the authority, as Monsignor writes on page 118, he says this authority on the part of the church does not mean that the church, though, is really superior to the scriptures. Far from it. It simply means that the church and the church only has the right to tell us what is scripture and what is not, and what is what it what is its true and infallible interpretation. Mm. So. You know, again, it's not, you know, Protestants will say, well, you, you know, you are, you're taking, you are, uh, think you're a higher authority than scriptures. No, it's not that at all. But it is, uh, you know, by the power uh, given to the ecclesiastical authority through the church that Christ himself had given, that they have the authority then to determine then what is part of scripture or not. And so um, I, I think even in, uh, page 120, um, I love this quote from um, Tertullian. He says, no one should even use the scriptures without belonging to the Catholic Church because she is the only one who knows how to give a proper interpretation of them. You know, and this is why the, this is Protestants too will often, you know, will, will look to, point to the church and says, oh, you, you, you know, the Catholics, you, you would burn Bibles and things. And, and, and that's true. We would because uh, of those Bibles who were not uh, part of the Catholic Church. Now, there's those, you know, you walk into like Borders or, or uh, um, you know, what other bookstore, et cetera, and you, you look and you go to the, 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 to the religion section and you see, you know, this whole wall of Bibles and this Bible of this, a Bible of that, and Bible of this, all these different kind of interpretations of the Bible, <laughs> you know, and the Catholic Church would burn them all because, you know, that is, it is because it's not, in the you don't have the right interpretation. You don't have that authority to put that because you, you can you can point to any scriptures and in, in, in any of those Bibles and they'll have you know different wording of this and different wording of that. Well, that's all you know. That's that's not because you don't belong to the Catholic churches. She's the only one who knows how to give a proper interpretation of them. And so you know that is uh, um, you know again and in, in, in Saint Irenaeus again and in, in same on, on, on page one twenty. Monsignor says, this is what St. Irenaeus says and warns us, 
He says, where the charisms of the Lord are, there also must also we must learn the truth because it is through them that the apostolic succession is found in the church. They, the priests, watch our faith and explain to us the scriptures without error. So, you know, you have to have that uh, apostolic succession. You have to have that that's, uh, within the church to, to, to interpret and to give the scriptures without error. I find it ironic, Father, how Protestants accuse the Catholic Church of um, saying you put your authority above scripture. Yet, wasn't it in scripture when Christ gave the apostles the authority? So aren't the Protestants yeah. actually yeah. putting themselves above scripture? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, it's it's the old saying is that, you know, you give, a, you give enough rope, rope to uh, those who are in error, they'll hang themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, ultimately that's what they, I mean, and I mean, and I'm not being crass or anything like that, but yet, you know, they're, they are going on this, as we said at the very beginning, you know, our faith is very practical, meaning it's also very logical. Everything follows very clearly in that regards. And Protestantism is like, almost as illogical as you can get in some areas. We would like to remind you that you are listening to Tradition and the Church on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and I am joined by Father Michael Oswald. And today we've been discussing Chapter 5, Testimony of the First Centuries. We want to remind you that Tradition and the Church is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. Father, we can move on to chapter six now, I think. We'll start off with the headline on page 123. There is no reason why revelation from its nature should necessarily be restricted to scripture. Well, this is the, in a very, in a very uh, easy nutshell, it's kind of saying, how could God be restricted to a tiny box that we impose upon him? In other words, you know, we uh, we have a tendency to, to, to put God in a little box and say, well, he, he can only do this. Well, God is God. He's infinite. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's, he's, he's the creator. He can do whatever he wants and however he wants to do it. Certainly, yeah, he has himself put forth these are the proper ways to do things. In other words, these, he set forth these ways, but he's not restricted to that. He certainly himself can do that. And so, you know, as Samantina writes, he says, if it's man's privilege to communicate his thoughts by word or in writing or in other ways, how can we expect Almighty God to confine his revelation only to writing? In other words, again, it's it's another, you know, I, I don't want to just pick on the Protestants or something, but it's another another slap in the Protestants and say, you know, um, you know, to constrict God to solely this is, you know, didn't doesn't God, he's beyond in, in other instances. So, you know, revelation found in scripture, of course, um, you know, may have been first made by God himself to the patriarchs, the prophets, and the apostles without any writing. And this is, of course, as Monsignor says, immediate revelation. In other words, how we never, even we never even had the Bible as a, a as um, available to the, the to, pe- to people in a, in a form, uh, a written form, you know, like we have today, you know, like one book sort of thing. You know, really, until the, the 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 Gutenberg press, right? I mean, until until it was really, you know, like much 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 later. So how then people learned the faith is was not just solely by by that by writing; it was by preaching, by teaching, etc. And so so the revelation, of course, comes not only again, as we said, not only from scripture but from uh, tradition as well. And so you look for then 
you know, again, what has been preached before, what has been taught before. Um, and you look for that as the, the credibility for believing that or not. And then so, you know, the apostles, you know, in Scripture, our Lord never said in Scripture, you can find nowhere in Scripture where our Lord says, go and write all these things down and give these books to everyone. No, he says, go and preach and teach, you know, to all nations. So, you know, you you understand that there then there is a, a, in a an extension then solely of just Scripture. But, of course, again, as we said, Scripture and tradition, it's not like they're at odds. They are complementary. They are, uh, you know, they are. Uh, both of the 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 rule of faith for us, and so you know we understand that God has worked not only in the written but in the unwritten as well, and so but He's also not just left that for the interpretation of whoever and who and anyone. He's left that to the church herself, to the apostles, to their successors, uh, to teach and and to to preach. So whatever manner. So it depends on God alone to choose then the way and the manner of mm. promulgating, of teaching this revelation and to then keep it for future generations. So God himself set everything up. Uh, you know, we, you know, we have to understand is that, you know, this is, this is by God himself. And so he, uh, you know, as God, he has foresaw, foreseen everything and, and he has set everything up to where that it will be perfect. In that regards, and so we're believed, man, of course, on us as creatures, we're obliged then to believe revelation, either written or unwritten, as the infallible word of God. And so it is through scriptures, of course, through written, uh, and and then also then through the infallible then testimony of, as Monsignor quotes from Acts, whom the Holy Ghost placed to rule the Church of God. Church herself, the apostles, the the bishops, the priests who have, who are in communion, of course, in union with uh, the church, and so scriptures. Besides scriptures, then of course there's other means which God reveals Himself, uh, and so it is. Uh, it is as as yeah, I love this line. It says, "God is eminently free. <laughs> God is free to choose how He wants to do what He wants to do, and He has instituted that. Yes." Not only scripture, but also tradition, the teaching and, and, and the handing down of that tradition through the church herself, uh, that he has, has deigned then for all then to follow and believe. Going back even further in history, on page 125, the headline reads, after the creation and fall of man down to the coming of Christ, tradition always existed. Yes. I mean, you can see, as Monsignor writes, actually in the first, the first sentence uh, from that headline, he says, it may be said in a certain sense that the church, the Catholic church, of course, I love how he says, no, the church, not some ambiguous church, he says, no, the Catholic church always existed. And so in other words, you know, from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of the worlds, you know, we had uh, um, those who remain, who, who God revealed and to remain faithful from Adam and Eve, all the way then from the successors who remain faithful to that, who worship God and obeyed his commands, who who kind of began to form the first nucleus then, as Monsignor says, of the church. And so, you know, we have, um, as, uh, and this is actually, he, he, he wrote this very, very well. He says, you know, from the, from that period, um, from Adam to our Lord, he writes this, he kind of coins it. He says it, that was the conception of the church, you know, and, and then from, from that, from of course our Lord on was the, of course the, the, the beginning 
uh, of uh, the 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 birth, so to speak, of, of the church visibly. But so, but from from the beginning, you had, of course, through the old law, through that man believed and professed very clear and very certain truths. You know, he believed in God. He believed uh, who is the creator of heaven and earth, a God who rewards the good and punishes the evil. He expressed that belief in in external worship that was, uh, um, and the observance then of the laws of God that was given to them by, by the revelation of God through the through the mouth of, the, say, the prophets, prove of those who were, who were given uh, for that uh, mission, you know, but, but also to add it to that, it's always been the belief then that it would be a, a future redeemer from that first fall and, and that was always from the very beginning um, that there would always be there and so that is uh, so you can see that that I mean that's the crux of our faith and, and but so you can see that the church really in itself and in a certain sense again you know has always been it, it was only um, you know so I mean that's how my Monsignor writes that very, very, very eloquently in those pages. And then he later he says, you know, it is certain that primitive revelation, that understanding of that, most of which was afterwards written by Moses, was kept and propagated exclusively then by tradition. In other words, by the mouth of the prophets, by the patriarchs, by the teaching then of that. And then, and so, and this happened for uh, 2,000 some years.